And then if I manage to become a multi-billionaire, then maybe I can start changing those things and I can be in charge of that research. But me and you as small roasters, and I still consider myself a small roaster, can't change everything. We can't fix the world and nor should it be our, our job to. Our job is to present delicious, tasty coffee to consumers that they want to give us the money that we think it's worth for. Welcome to or welcome back to Coffee with April. My name is Patrick Rolf, and this is a conversation with some amazing professionals and entrepreneurs in the coffee industry. Sharing their perspective and experience, it's about integrity, quality, and the future. For this episode, we sat down with Stephen Layton, founder of Hasby. We talked about his startup process. We talked about the fact that he just sold his company. And we talked about the fact that he managed to create one of the most iconic brands in the industry. I think all of us, to some extent, have come across Haspin throughout our career. And it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with him at his roastery in Stafford and talk about all of these things. I really hope you enjoy this as much as I did recording it. Cool. So welcome to another episode of uh, Coffee with April. I'm out at Haspi and in front of me I have Steve. And this is really exciting for, for several reasons, mainly because I believe that Haspi is the first roastery I encountered ever before actually starting with coffee. What? I actually believe I bought like coffee and like a V60 or something like that from you guys, maybe a chemist, wow. um, like right in the beginning. I've always wanted to come here, and now I'm here. Um, oh, you're very welcome. Uh, thank you for making that long plane journey. Well, it's, it's fine, it's fine. Um, and perhaps we, we timed this amazingly well, right? We timed this with the exact day that Sprudge is releasing. We did not time this, I should say. This we didn't. I, so, I mean, for clarification, like I'd signed an NDA agreement. I wasn't allowed to talk about this at all until yep. just a, a week ago, and then it got announced last night uh, officially to the rest of the coffee world. Yeah, and uh, yeah, what got announced is something very exciting that is happening both for you personally and also for Haspin as a, as a company. Mm. Yeah, no, uh, big news, quite scary, uh, but also with scary comes exciting. And um, we've I've merged uh, has been together with uh, Ozone Coffee Roasters based out of uh, New Plymouth, New Zealand. And uh, of course, of London, um, uh, near Old Street Station, and I've become uh, the one, the second largest shareholder in the group. Um, and uh, I have a new job title. I'm actually an employee for the first time in quite a long time um, as director of coffee. Yes, I hate the name too, um, but um, my responsibility are all for it's going to be for all things coffee within the. OCRI, which is Ozone Coffee Roasters International Group, which I'm very excited about. And it's, 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 it's amazing. Can you share a bit about the process of, I mean, it's basically your baby, that mm-hmm. is now a very big baby, um, <laughs> that you in some way are handing over to someone else. Not, not 100%, but they're still not, it's not just you anymore, it's someone else. How, how did that process feel for you from you know, a private perspective? Was it a long process? Was it a difficult process? Or was it just a natural decision for um, I, I was approached back in um, October last year 
just with a very informal email saying, I'm working for this group of people uh, who might like to talk to you. Would you be willing to have a conversation about potentially, you know, selling has been? I was like, I, I've always had this thing in the back of my head. It's like, how much am I worth? Like, how, how much do people value the word that... And I, no intention of selling whatsoever. I was very happy with life. Uh, I'd, I'd just finished writing my book. It was about to be published. We were just about to go off to Korea to WBC with Dale competing. I was like, yeah, go on, we'll have the conversation. So we had initial conversations that went well. I, I liked the people. Uh, I enjoyed uh, their company. They made lots of sense. Uh, they asked me lots of the kind of questions that I want people to ask, and they answered uh, lots of questions I had very openly. Um, and that was the beginning of the journey, and it's been a tough journey. Um, there's been many ups and downs on it. Um, it was not um, as cut and dried as, you know, you would think when you sit down with somebody and start talking. Um, pretty much the money was organised fairly early on. I think we were all very happy with what was on the table. Um, I think it was much more about... Um, Protecting the people who work for me, protecting the people who I buy from, protecting my core values, protecting my baby, um, you know, and, and all the things that I've wanted to achieve. Um, and that takes time because there's two very different mindsets coming to it, uh, you know, with different approaches and different ideas. Uh, and of course, they don't want to keep everything exactly the same in the back end systems. Um, but the reason they were interested in us coming together was they were excited by the opportunities of, of our front-end systems and the things that we're doing and the messages that we're sharing and sending. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been tough and difficult. And I'm, I go on holiday on Sunday uh, and I'm going for a week on a beach and it's going to be the best week of my life because it's been nothing but business, business, business and I'm going to be doing sangria, tapas and uh, sun and beach. That's amazing. Um, I want to touch a bit on also on the topic of kind of you guys um, combining your businesses as well. Mm -hmm. Something that we talk a lot about in this industry and for some reason I never understood why, but it's kind of frowned upon, is the idea of scale, mm -hmm. right? And for those of, um, of you listening out there that doesn't understand this, let's, let's see if we can go through what are the positive things that comes now with that additional scale both from a roastery production perspective, but also just from a green coffee perspective, right? I mean, I'm feeling my way a little bit now because it really is only just a week and a half, nearly two weeks uh, into it. But um, the main benefits I see is that uh, I visit a lot of producers and that's my main job. That's what I see as my main role within, within has been and it's definitely going to be my main role within uh, the new combined group. And uh, when I visit... They're always really happy I'm visiting and they're happy that I'm buying the coffee, but they always want me to buy a little bit more. Um, with this, I, my buying power um, doubles. I can buy twice as much coffee. as Now, of course, there are relationships of ozone already there and there's relationships of has-been, so it's not going to double, but it's going to give new possibilities, new opportunities. Um, you know, we've got some really good plans, and this is what we've used the, the, the months coming up to this, that there are some plans that we're going to be really working towards quite quickly. Um, it isn't just going to be what we're doing now. It gives me the backing and the resource and the support uh, and, and, and the financing to do projects I've only dreamt about doing in the past. Um, so with that scale comes opportunity. And with that opportunity, hopefully I can make a bigger impact on the people that I'm working with and working for. 
Um, so, you know, people who work with me are going to be looked at. So Dale and uh, Dale Harris and Chris Glover-Price have become um, shareholders within the overall group as well uh, because of their hard work to get us to this point. Um, but also my producers, you know, the people who have helped me get to this point. I've got to look after them. And, then, you know, that, that's really important to me. I think that's... Uh then you know that is very important. We talked. We had a pretty long car ride from from the airport here. Uh, Sorry about that. Which it's is, not no, close, is it? <laughs> good company, you know. The a really interesting discussion. And one of the things we touched on there was also this kind of idea of uh, or importance of longevity, both in terms of working with producers, but also as you mentioned as well, um, staff. Mm. And it turns out that most of your staff has been staying in the roastery for a very very long time, which is very impressive in in our industry. I would think. Um, to be fair, there's not many other roasteries within about 200 kilometers of here. But no, no, it is. It, 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 even then, you know, you, you train people up to have amazing skills. You know, you look at somebody like Dale, who, you know, was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar when he found him, uh, just like Colin Harmon was. Um, and, and you, but no, you know, he took those skills and he ran with them and he was allowed to grow into his role to the point he became World Barista Champion. And I remember virtually straight after he won I was like so I guess this is it then he was like what I was like well you know you're going to be have all these other opportunities people knocking on your door and he's like no I want to stay here I'm I'm happy this is this is this is home you know this is just as much his baby as it's my baby and I think that's the thing with the team is we everybody says they're inclusive with their teams but like mm. their family like their 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 family and literally family. My sister works for me. My ex wife's sister works for me. My best friends work for me. You know, it's it's like, um, yeah, it, it's family. So I've been very lucky that the team that I've had have been able to grow with the business and with me. And we've made the mistakes together and we've enjoyed the successes together. Oh, that's amazing. Could you take us? Uh, you already told me in the car, but for for everyone else that doesn't know. Could you share just a story? Because it's a pretty amazing story of how you started Hasbeam. Oh, well, um, it started in in my mind. In I was on a night shift. Uh, I used to be a, a prison guard um, at a, a young offenders prison. And I was doing a night shift. And I had a particularly busy night shift. Uh, and I was sitting, I'd just made some coffee because uh, I enjoyed coffee back then. And it was some coffee I'd bought from Sweet Maria's in the U.S., uh, and I'd roasted it, and I was sat down drinking it, and was just kind of thinking, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, this sucks. And I think we, you know, anybody who's worked in those kind of jobs has had a point where they've gone, oh, this sucks. I thought, well, what can I do? Uh, and I was sitting drinking the coffee, and I thought, well, if I'm buying this from the US, maybe somebody would buy it from here if it was here. But I didn't really have any... I've got some home roasting skills, but nothing else. Uh, so I opened a cafe. Uh, well, first of all, I opened a market store, uh, which lasted for around about three weeks, and I sold virtually nothing. And uh, one of my favourite stories, I've told, like, literally, you get me started on the stories, I'll keep going. Go but for it. There was um, an old lady uh, with a little shopping trolley came up and said, oh, what are you doing, young man? And I was like, oh, I'm selling coffee. And I was buying it from this roastery down south that did a really good job with it. And I was explaining about the, the origin of it and where it had come from. And she was like, oh, I'll take some of that, please. And I said, oh, do you need it ground? She said, oh, yes, please. So ground up the bag, sealed it up, gave it her. And she told her, like, no more sales that day. I'd sold, like, one bag of coffee. And I'm just packing up and thinking, oh, I've had enough of this. This is rubbish. And she comes back with her trolley. And I'm like... Oh, hello. You've tried it already. You want some more? She said, 
do you know what? I'm sure it's lovely, but it just wouldn't dissolve when I was stirring it. And I was like, here's your money back. Took the coffee. It packed up, never went back. Um, but then I opened a coffee shop, uh, which I had for three years, which is was a very small, uh, we called it espresso bar. It was a has-been espresso bar, and nobody knew what espresso was. So we didn't have a Starbucks, we didn't have a Costa, we didn't have a Nero. We had no chains to educate the customers. So I spent all day saying that this is a cappuccino, this is a latte, this is a macchiato. Um, and I'm not a very good barista, as anybody who's had uh, espresso from me will know. Uh, and I don't... I have a temper temperament perfect for the internet because you can just get angry at your computer and not the people. Um, but I started roasting for the cafe in the back of my garage uh, and more and more people wanted to buy my coffee. Um, and then uh, one of our customers offered to build me a, a really, really bad website, but a website mm. selling coffee, and it just kind of grew from that. So, uh, and at that point, we, sh we should note as well that you're roasting on a little two kilo... Little two kilo, uh, normally at night because I was still working in the prison. So I used to have to go to work during the day, uh, come home at night, roast coffee, and then I'd pack it, envelope it, go to work. Lunchtime, I'd go to the post office and hand over all the parcels to the, the post office and then go back to work and repeat and rinse over and over again. Um, so and I, did, and, and I was doing that. We set up a new roastery that wasn't my garage, and then we moved to another roastery. I was employing three people uh, and still working full-time as a prison officer. Was that still in the two kilo? Uh, no, no. So I, I got off the two kilo. When I got out of the garage and I opened my first roastery, I bought a five kilo, sure. uh, which is now living with uh, Raul Rodas in uh, Paradigma Coffee. Um, I paid him a roaster to introduce me to some producers, um, so he took my five kilo. My fi then I bought a 15 kilo, which now lives with Colin um, okay, at yeah. 3FE, which is the, the red ambex there. Um, and, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, we kind of moved from one roastery to another roastery to the one that we're at now, which we've been at for around about seven years. Amazing. And uh, how, how fast does it get? Like your, how much are you guys doing now, roughly? Oh, it's so difficult to say because we do sell a little, little bit of green to uh, other roasteries sure. and, uh, you know, we also work with, with 3FE. But overall, uh, it, it would be around about 250 tons, something like that. And, and how, many, how many years did it take? Because the, the, the speed that companies grow in are really interesting, especially if we look at, at roasteries, right? And it looks like we're going into an era now where, at least in the specialty coffee part of things, people seem to be growing slower than before. Oh, I think it's, I mean, the, the, the market, the, the reason the consolidation, like the one that's happening to me is happening and people are coming together and working together is it's a saturated market. It's getting like, difficult. It is really difficult. There are so, everybody's a roaster. Uh, everybody's importing the finest coffee, everybody's doing the best job, everybody's coffee is the most delicious, um, and there's just so many people doing it. It's such a low entry point to get into coffee roasting. So if you want to set up a brewery, you're probably looking 150, dollars £200,000. So what, $250,000, $250,000. Set up a roastery, less than $100,000 easily. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's doing it nicely. So the entry point is so much lower that we've seen a mass eruption of roasters coming into the market. Um, and, like, I would never, ever, ever have been able to grow this business the way I did if it wasn't about longevity. Sure. Like, I've been around for 15 years. I've been doing this for 15 years, working with some great people, great producers, great baristas, great champions. You know, like, doing it now, how would you make yourself heard over the noise? So yeah. you, you don't you don't believe that the um, the way you started Haspin would have worked if you started today? I don't think so. I don't think so because you know, 
I always say our strengths very much as customer service. Uh, I think it's a very personable business. It's very, you know, relatable. Um, and I think, I'm going to say what everybody else says, but I think my coffee quality is is good, you know, and everybody can get better, but it, it is good. But we're not the coolest. Like, I don't ever feel like everybody says, oh, that's Steve Layton, he's quite cool. Uh, because I'm not. I'm a bit of a geek. I'm a bit of a dork. Um, I talk too much. And I'm very loud sometimes. I like I like football. I, I like craft beer. I, I you know I'm a bit of a hooligan sometimes. You know I'm not your t- stereotypical coffee roaster. I think mm. would be would be safe to say. And not everybody buys into that. Um, you know some people. It either goes two ways with me. People either really like me or really hate me. Yeah. Um, and I understand it. I sometimes really hate me too. Um, that's probably a big. You know that's a probably a reason why you guys are as successful as you have been as well right whereas you know we need to um diversify and the the best roasteries at least what i've seen from my perspective are roasteries where it's very very clear once you meet the owners what that kind of company is right because mm-hmm. it's so clear in terms of you as an individual have been able to kind of portray you in a company form right? I, th- i think the thing is is it, it, i'm really really bad at lying so if i pretended to be something else if i pretended to be cool and do all of the cool things uh, i'd be seen through very very quickly like I, i i i can't i can't keep the pretense up so i always feel as if you just present yourself as you are it's much easier than trying to keep a lie of like oh no i'm really cool honest i i, I like this and i like like you know i like really bad 80s music um i think what else i, I like sunderland which is a terrible terrible football team that's in the league one now um you know i i like the very simple things in life as well as i love coffee i love flavor challenges i like i love really expensive wine maybe that makes me a bit cooler i like going to really lovely restaurants they're fantastic but like i also like fish and chips in the park mm. so I, i yeah i kind of try to be as honest as i can and i try and portray that in my company which sometimes to the detriment but i think also what you write what you say other times is a very positive attribute is like people tend to like the who who do buy from us like that it's personable like that they can still email me and i'll reply uh like that if you ring the phone that has been a lot of the times i'll pick up the phone you know it's and yet you know we're we're a busy big company that have lots of things going on so yeah, sure and i think it's it's looking at especially roasteries starting now but also the roasteries that are active is there's very few roasteries that has a clear identity yeah. and it has been is one of the few that actually have that there's no discussion about what has been is like it's so clear <laughs> well, did you know i invented i invented the color red back in the year 2002 during my lunch break um it wasn't a color before that um but no like it is it, it and that, that that's been on purpose you know is uh, you know in my mug i i remember when i first started doing the in my mug video blogs uh 2008 Um I I remember going to Nordic Roasters forum and overhearing a conversation of a couple of people laughing about me doing these videos oh, yeah. and how stupid it is. Sure. Yeah. I really wish I could see the next. It's been really successful. We just done episode 507, I think it is, and and has turned into a business on its own because the subscriptions that we do every week from in my mug is as busy as some roasteries are. Oh, sure. Um and you know like people engaged with it we've had like seven million views since it started it's ridiculous seven million people watching me drink coffee but like i had the stupidity to do it at the time but that's because what i wanted to watch was somebody do that on coffee so i created it um and hopefully there's enough stupid people like me that want to follow it I mean, obviously you no know, and i remember when when i first started 
uh, that 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 together with, I think it was Madcap as well was the first videos I ever saw. <laughs> it was because yeah. if you Google like coffee video, that's yeah. There was, I mean, there wasn't there wasn't that's, so much going on. I mean, there was lots. Of, I I kind of stole the inspiration for it from a, a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk, who's. Uh, um, this social media guy who runs his own social media company, and but he used to run a wine company called, and he had Wine Library TV, and he used to start off every episode with like, "Hello and welcome to Wine Library TV. My name is Gary Vaynerchuk, and this, my friends, is the whatever it was." And he'd go on, and I kind of completely. If you watch in my mug now, he's like, "Hello everybody, and welcome to my mug episode." You know, and it literally was just a complete rip off. But then you evolve it and you tweak bits out and you pull bits in and um, and stuff. And uh, yeah, and and that's been amazing. Like, but and and I kind of go back to that two thousand and nine Nordic Roasters forum where people were sitting around and oh, you know, it's like it's not meant for you, dude. Like, this is sure. not for you. This is for Joe Bloggs consumer who's sitting at home and knows nothing about coffee and doesn't know what a washed coffee is, doesn't know what a bourbon is, doesn't know what a, you know, a geisha is, and you're giving him something that he can kind of go, okay, I feel I've learned a little bit there. And if nothing else, he can laugh at me on the screen making an idiot of myself. So, um, no, it's, 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 been, it's been very much about being a personal brand and very much about uh, being honest and open and true yeah. to what we are. Sure, and understanding who you're selling for. I, yeah. I think a lot of roasteries today, they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot, including myself to some degree, whereas we're, we're too much, whether it's conscious or not, trying to create a brand that fits into the industry or that, that caters to the industry or the, the, the professionals in it way too much, where we're actually missing out on, on a lot of really good stuff. And it's... Funny because we've been trying to do a few new stuff with April now, whether it's like media stuff or podcast or whatever. And I went through your your website again a few weeks ago, and I'm like looking here, it's like check, check, check. I was like checking off all of the things that I actually wanted to do, <laughs> and I thought that no one was really doing. I was like, you guys are doing everything. But honestly, you guys like are actually doing everything. So I I listened. I've listened to quite a few of the podcasts, but I listened to James actually this morning on the mm. drive to the airport um, to see you, and uh, he was saying about how. Um, he used to get upset that ideas people would take his ideas and do things with them well do you know what none of us have had an original idea in coffee at all ever we've Very all true. taken something from somewhere uh, and turned it into something else and I actually, I'm actually love it when people take an idea that I've come up with or I've done and if they can do it better amazing because what the, the whole reason for doing, say, say in my mug, take that example, was to try and improve coffee knowledge amongst people that didn't have any coffee knowledge. Now, mm. if you took that on and did something where it took it on to another level and you did an even better job, well, that content was free for, on purpose. It was not to sell more coffee. It was a hopeful side effect to sell more coffee. It's like your podcasts here with, with, mm. with April. You know, you hope to sell more coffee on the back of it, but actually, if you don't, that's not the primary objective. The primary objective is to make people know about your brand, understand who you are, and then maybe at some point in three years' time, they may go, oh, I, I want to try some of that coffee. Absolutely. So I think, I, think uh, I, I'm, I love it when people take an idea and, like, take it somewhere else. Um, I think if it's a straight rip-off, like, it's a straight, like, you know, if somebody calls it in my cup, I own the domain for in my cup, so you're okay. <laughs> but, it, but if somebody, you know, then that's a straight rip-off. But if, if somebody said, you know, coffee with April, we're going to, hello, everybody, we're going to taste this coffee today, I'd be like, 
Awesome. That's mm. amazing because that means you, I mean, you actually replied to James on it. It's like, it means you've done something right. Mm. Uh, must be why nobody's ever copied any of my stuff. <laughs> no, for sure. I'm, I'm still waiting to get copied as well. I haven't really got that far yet. But so 15 years and on the subject that we're talking about now as well, um, you see the trends come and go. Mm-hmm. They're all cycles. They're going forth and back. Um, I think we already identified that you as a company are probably not changing that much with the industry as in you're trying to pave your own way mm-hmm. um is that is that true i think so sure. i think so i i i always look uh, you were saying earlier about like modeling a company for the industry the people who buy the least coffee in the whole entire world are roasteries that have their own coffee you know like i i, I sometimes steal some from somebody i may buy a bag every now and again but like just to try something weird but like I'm a terrible customer. You like you do not want me as one of your top customers because I, I've already got you know a few hundred tons of coffee in the warehouse. So yeah, um, yeah I think um, I think you've got to be original. You've got to be you like don't, don't look at what's happening in the industry, but don't don't do what everybody else is doing. Like do what feels good to you. Or a lot of the time, for me, it's like a customer will say to me the brew guide videos when we first did the brew guide videos there was a couple around but they were basically you know somebody's hands and a paw or or it might be a really bad one where somebody's standing with a cafetiere and and we went let's do some animated ones let's do something that's like different and fun and that was purely because a customer said to me god these brew videos are so dull and boring and no color and light and i was like we can fix that um, so we made them animated and we made them kind of like, you know, a, a little bit of jokey bits in there and a little bit more lighthearted and fun. Because brewing coffee is meant to be fun, by the way. It's not meant to be a scientific process or an operation or surgery or it's like, it's fun. Um, and the AeroPress video, I think that just ticked over to two million about three, four weeks ago. Two million views of my animated AeroPress video. That's incredible. That's a pretty incredible reach. Mm. Um, and... Uh, then everybody else started to do brew guides because, you know, they got a lot of traction. That's great. Love it. Education, education. Get it out there. Um, but, yeah, it's been, you know, we make no money from that. We spent lots of money on making them. I think we've got about 13 or 14 different brew guides now. Um, same with things like Tampa Tantrum. You know, like people say, oh, you know, Tampa Tantrum, that was great. Probably cost me around about forty, fifty thousand pounds in the last six seven years to yeah, run tamper sure. tantrum no profit from that at all people say oh you've got sponsorship it's like yeah to try and do something with it you know just try and cover some of the costs uh, but it's about education you want an educated consumer but also an educated uh, community of people working in coffee so we're all you know i've made lots of mistakes i'm very happy for somebody to not make the same mistakes i made and learn from sure. mine yeah. um, and that's where those kind of things come in how how on earth are you keeping everything together? You do it, it's so much, not just as an individual, but also as as, as a company. We haven't even you know begun to talk about green coffee or the other ventures you are included in as well, and, and we will. But let's let's take that a bit later. But uh, just on a, on a like, how does how does a week in your life look like? Like a normal week. Let's use this week. So Sunday night, drove to Manchester Airport, drop. Uh, Joanna back at the airport to go back to Sweden. Monday, where was I Monday? Was I, 
Yes, I am in London one day. I literally don't know where I am half the time. Literally, I, I, I do not have a spare moment in my diary. My diary is completely and utterly... When, when we talked on email about doing this, I think I was fairly prescriptive. Is I can do that Thursday. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I just don't, I don't have a moment spare at all in my diary. It is chaotic and crazy and full. Um, uh, last year, 127 flights... Um, this year I'm doing a bit better. I, I'm very happy with myself this year. Uh, I think I'm down to around about 50 uh, for this point of the year, which is great. Um, but no, it, it, life is life is hectic and busy. It involves lots of cupping, lots of QC, lots of meetings, HR meetings. You know, but we, I've got a small team of 17, but they all need some love. Um, and when I'm so busy and with all of the things going... You know, any transaction where two companies come together, there's unrest and concern and worry. And I've spent the past two weeks just basically saying to everybody, everything's good, guys. Like, sure. I've got you covered here. You've got to trust me. This would never have happened if it was not going to not going to protect you. But, you know, you end up doing all of those things, as well as trying to have a social life and a personal life and, oh, yeah, all of those things. So I, the answer to your question, I've no idea, and I try not to stop and think about it too much because, yeah, it just gets... It gets scary sometimes. Yeah, you you mentioned the uh, personal life in there, and yeah. that's something that I'm very interested in um, as well. My personal life. <laughs> I'm, I'm very interested in personal life. No, but well, sure, let me sure. tell you, my friend. <laughs> sure, I am because there's there's I think there's a lot to learn there. But it's it's with with all people on the podcast and, and people I meet and talk to in in, in general. Um, it's and what I see by starting April as well, even though we are tiny, tiny, tiny. It's it's a balance, mm-hmm. right? And it's not always an easy one, right? Have you, because have, now you have a lot of experience of it. Do you have any um, uh, any suggestions, any ideas about what people should think about or, or like starting out? There's, there's always a discussion when starting a company whereas, I think Hoffman said something about that in the podcast as well where, you know, either you're, you're starting up and you live, you know, on a mattress in an empty apartment on like noodles or you can start up in, in, in another way where you're actually kind of, you know, healthy, have time and give yourselves opportunity to do other things as well. And how how have you kind of gauged that work private process? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you should be able to answer this better than me, because I think most of my education has come from having a Swedish partner. Sure. So she has taught me so much about work-life balance mm. um, and how to switch off um, and how to... Um, Enjoy life. Mm. Like, uh, and we must have the conversation at least once a week where she says, you're really lucky. Enjoy what you have. And I'm like, no, I am really lucky and I should enjoy what I have. So it makes me take that time out um, to have that. Um, but also, I, I'm 44 now and um, I've done a lot in those 44 years. Uh, lots of things I'm really proud of and other things that I wish... I'd spent a little bit more time on. Um, and uh, I wish I hadn't wasted as much time. And I think sometimes you can get het up in the minutia of business. That minutia doesn't, minutia doesn't matter uh, uh, generally. You know, it's like you worry about the big things. And if the big things are fixed, then you've got time to worry about the minutia. But I used to worry about the big things, the minutia, and the stuff I couldn't control as well. Mm. Um, and that takes you away from the things that are important. So for me, it, it's been much more about focusing on what I can change, not what I can't change. Like I can't make anybody believe that I'm cool because that's not going to happen. But can I make them believe that my coffee is amazing? Yeah, 
I can put that in front of them. That's in my control to source great coffee, to roast it well and to deliver it and present it as best we can. So, yeah, I think it's not worried about the things you can't change. And we all do it. We all sit in business going, oh, you know, if we could just make yields increase in Ethiopia, that would be so much better. Well, mm. I can't do that. I can sell more coffee that hopefully will mean that some cleverer people than me will start investing in that and, and start putting you know, research into those things. But that's not for me. Like, I, I need to worry about what I can change. And then if I manage to become a multi-billionaire, then maybe I can start changing those things and I can be in charge of that research. But me and you as small roasters, and I still consider myself a small roaster, can't change everything. We mm. can't fix the world, and nor should it be our, our job to. Our job is to present delicious, tasty coffee to consumers that they want to give us the money that we think it's worth for. Um, so, yeah, and uh, but taking time out and taking time to breathe, um, Joanna has taught me, is very important. No, it is, you know, and you need to, in the end of the day, if, if you don't function properly on a, on a, a private level, your company's not going to function either, right? Exactly. It's, it's really as easy as that. It's, it's, it's easy to say, harder to understand, um, yeah. probably harder to execute as well, right? But that's a, I think that's a very important part. Um, it's also, I mean, I think the other thing is, as you get older, like, I've had, a, I've had a couple of health scares in the past couple of years, and nothing important or major or, you know, but enough to make me think... You know, when you sit down with the doctors and you say, well, why does this happen? And they say, well, it's probably stress. Hmm. You know, you think, OK, that's, that's not so good. You know, maybe I, maybe I do need to slow down a little bit or, or, or just keep at the same pace, but at set times and learn when to switch off. Hmm. Um, and there was a time kind of 2007 to about 2013, 14, where I was on 27, 20, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I was flat out. I was literally running uh, to try and make my business better, to try and make it bigger, stronger, whatever. Um, and that takes it toll because at the end of those years, I just went, whew, that was exhausting. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and your body kicks you. Your body says, you can't do that. That's, that's not acceptable. Sure. And I think you've mentioned it before as well, where it's, you know, it's, it's part of the success is that you guys are 15 years old, right? So there's a longevity there. There's a process there. It takes time. And then you, you as an individual needs to be able to, to be around for that long or yeah. perform good stuff for that long, right? So it's, it's uh, just as important as the company, I would say. Uh, for, for sure, for sure. You know, long, longevity, it, it, most, so, you know, most businesses fail within the first 12 months. Well, I, I kind of always question that and just say, if you expected to only be around, for, you, know, you only had enough working capital to be around for 12 months, you were doing something wrong. Mm. Like, basically, your plan should be, and we were talking about this earlier, is like, you know, I've never invested. I, my, I started has been with £2,000, mm. and that £2,000 bought a two-kilo roaster. And everything else came from my salary, that, from my day job, or from money I earned that went back in. I never went in. Now, my business could have kept going at that point. I had a garage. I had to buy gas bottles sure. and I had to buy coffee. But if I hadn't worked out my costs from those very small costs, the business would never have succeeded. And for the first two years, I sold nothing. Like nothing. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody didn't even register on radars, you know. And then it started to gain a little bit of traction. What? Um, traction. I know I'm interrupting, but, but what kind of... So you went through two years without necessarily selling or growing what was your, I was growing but like growing to, to, you know if month one you sell three bags of coffee ah, sure. and that was month one sure. like you grow to yeah. more and more and more that was the benefit of having a small roaster is you, yeah. you know I drank most of it myself or sent it to the cafe <laughs> um, 
But, you know, it, it, longevity is you should never plan for your business to be making money in 12 months, yeah. you know, and give you a salary and all of those mm. things. I started in 2003. I left the prison service in uh, December 2008. Mm. So five years of holding down two jobs and not taking any salary and working every single hour. Um, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect... I didn't plan to make money until the moment I left and I went in on the 1st of December and went, right, got to make some money here. Mm. Let's make this pay me a salary. Um, but what is the? Um, we're getting a bit personal here again, but but I mean, what's the drive there? What what is actually like? Most people would not cope with two jobs, especially one being starting up a new company mm. over that long time. Like you must have been really damn sure you wanted that roastery. Mm. There was something in there that was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna have it." So I, I get asked. I get asked that question. Like when I start telling the story, I get asked the question quite a lot, and I I love coffee. Like, I absolutely, like, coffee for me is the most amazing, complex, stunning beverage. But I love people. I love people and I love experiences a lot more. And my whole idea for this journey that I've gone on was, yes, to deliver delicious coffee and for people to enjoy it. But my main motivation was to meet the people. I wanted to understand about uh, why do I love coffee so much and I want to know the people behind it because I wasn't getting that from anybody. You got kind of 2003... Monmouth would talk about cooperatives uh, in London and they may talk about you know occasional producers but there was no detail I didn't feel like I knew them and I was like I want to know the people so that was my motivator you know, I went to Nicaragua in 2004 um, and met a producer that we're still buying from today and just like loved like loved everybody who I met loved the culture loved the idea um, and that was a real driver for me then was like you know I had to go to the prison governor and say can I take a week's leave to go and do a cup of excellence jury and I'm sat in a cup of excellence jury with Dwayne Sorensen next to me and um, uh, uh, who was it the other side oh Uh, from Intelligent, Jeff Watts. Mm. So I've got Dwayne from Stumptowns, Jeff from Intelligentsia, and Steve, office of Steve Layton, sitting in between them going, I'm going to get found out as a fraud <laughs> here. But, like, you get to meet those people, and that was my... I, I was just driven by the passion that I wanted to buy more coffee. I wanted to have more experiences. I wanted to meet more people. Um, and that's that's a pretty good motivator for somebody who doesn't need a lot. Like, I, I didn't... I, my mortgage was paid for by my job. Mm. Um, there was food on the table, and I didn't need a lot of sleep back then. I was okay. I'm getting better at sleep now. But like, what I needed was personal satisfaction, personal uh, you know goals and and things. So it was yeah. I think that was really what drove me, and still does to this day. I, I'm off to Bolivia in um, two weeks' time, and I can't wait to get back there. Been every year since 2006. Love the people. Love the place. Can't wait to see all my old friends again. On the subject of, of personal goals, have you, within the process of Haspian, have you felt that you're achieving them, or are you, um, I know Hoffman said that in his podcast, whereas he, he could never achieve them. That was his personal issue, right? Where he's, he's keep on just setting new ones, and he never really feels that he gets to the point he wants to be. Um, how are you on that? Do you feel that, okay, I accomplished what I wanted, that's great, now let's do something else, or do, are you still kind of struggling to, to reach those initial goals? I think my, my initial goals were so low. Like, my initial goals was just, like, completely ridiculous, you know? It's like, if I could roast, like, five, ten kilos of coffee a day, that'd be amazing. Like, that that was a goal. That was a true goal at the beginning. You know, if I could earn enough money to stand at this roaster and pack coffee all day on my own, that would be amazing. You know, and and 
they're not sustainable because what happens if you get sick? What happens if you go on holiday? You like, well, you don't go on holiday, or so. I had to constantly reevaluate the goals because I always underestimated what was possible. Now, if you'd asked me to write down in my wildest dreams where I'm at now, 15 years ago, I wouldn't be anywhere near this. This is much bigger. This is far greater than even my wildest dream could have been. Like I come from a single parent family in a council estate in a very rundown part of the UK, uh, left school with no qualifications at all. Like I, I got I got nothing on my CV that says that I'm going to build a multi-million pound coffee roastery that's going to become part of a bigger group. Like nowhere, it doesn't make sense. Um, so when you achieve, and I do feel like I've achieved so much, I am I'm really proud of what I've done. But when you achieve so much, you always think something else is possible. Mm. So I almost get. It's like the uh, the casino table. Uh, you know, you get a little bit of the gambler's kind of thing comes into you. And it's kind of like, oh, just one more go. Let's have a go on that one. Let's have a go on that one. I'll go on one more. That won't hurt. And, and it is. It, it's addictive because you know when you get praise from friends, colleagues, family. You know, oh, you've done really well. Mm. Like, there's nothing better as a human being for somebody to say you've done really well. Like that. That makes me feel bigger as I say it. You know. So you want to do better. I want, I want some more of that, please. Please keep feeding me that. Um, so, no, I'm never... I'm never I, I, I do set goals, and when I achieve them, I'm really happy about setting some more because I achieved, I overachieved what I thought was possible for my skill set, and I'm going to try something more and try something more. You said in the, in the car ride here, and I'm still trying to get my um, head around it, especially after seeing the grocery space as well, you said you're not a good businessman. <laughs> which uh, externally looking in there's a lot of indications that would argue that you are but can can we play around with that idea a bit more and, and uh, why are you not a good businessman give me a P&L sheet I haven't got a clue honestly I will look and I'll look at the numbers and I'll go did we make some money <laughs> you know it's like ask me about margin I understand margin but like ask me about cost of production I start to struggle a little bit more and like I I true like I, I come from this this place where I think if you if you charge more than you bought it for and you do lots of it, then you'll make enough money and it'll be okay. Mm. Like I'm not I'm not a great businessman. It's it's, it's a like people at the roaster will tell you it's like you know do we have purchase orders? Like we're a size of company now where you should have a purchase order for something so you can marry it up into your accounting system. I still ram all of my invoices into an envelope once a week and send them to my accountant. Mm. And he gets an envelope just full of rubbish. Sometimes he even gets like my own mail in there and he posts it back to me. I don't think you meant to send me this. It's like I, I, business is really hard. Mm. Um, and I think I'm a very good roaster. I, I'm quite happy to stand against anybody and go, like, I, I can roast coffee well. And I think I'm good at tasting things and I'm good at finding coffees that other people might like. Um, but I'm not good at the business stuff. Um, I was t The reason this came around was I was telling you about I went to a meeting with my new bank and was talking to them about this. And he said, oh, you know, well, you, you, as an entrepreneur, and I went, whoa, 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 I'm not an entrepreneur. He says, well, you are. And I was like, no. I, like Anybody who calls himself an entrepreneur or calls himself, calls himself a businessman even, quite often are not. You know, they, 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 they're trying to perceive, you know, have this persona that gives off that they are. And I'm not. I, 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 like, I, I'm trying and I do my best. But are there other people better at running a business than me? Oh, my God, yes. Are there entrepreneurs out there that are better? 
are there better people at roasting than me? Now, that's a much smaller crowd of people. Sure. Like, it's a much more exclusive club. So I feel okay belonging to that club. Um, you know, do I think I can taste well? Yeah, that's another club that I think I can belong to, but I don't think I can belong to... I, well, I picked you up from the airport in a pair of shorts, runners, and a, and a black T-shirt, you know. Businessmen don't dress like this either. Um, I've, I've seen them. They have suits and suitcases and things like sure. that. So, yeah. Interesting. And you have... It's it's hard to have a discussion with you and also not talk about the the two other roasteries. <laughs> is, is there more? No, there there's two, or is there more roasteries that you're also? Uh, um, well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with the new group. I have a roastery in New Plymouth, uh, and, I, and I have a roastery you in London. Just went global, yeah. Yeah, sure. I just just went global outside the continent. But yes, I, I guess you're referring to uh, Drop and Three FE. Exactly. Could uh, you walk us through that whole? Pro- I, first of all, I'm personally very interested in, um, you know, how how do you even think of it right for me running one roastery that's that's plenty oh well, well before i don't run anything at those like literally if colin hears it and and i'm sure he will like colin does everything three fe sure. is completely colin like sure. i've literally just stood in the background as support like i've done s- so little really yeah um like he that is completely his and if joanna thinks that i run a rose you've met joanna you know i don't run anything I at that roastery sure, my, sure. i actually my job title at drop yeah. is um head of paper clips head of paperclips. yeah because I'm allowed to order paper clips yeah. without having to ask her. I can just order them. Mm. And then my other job title is head of shoulders, knees and toes. Mm. Um, like, it, literally, I don't I don't run them. Mm. I, I literally am support and background. I, I do so little in them that that's mm. why. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly not running. Okay, I, I'm sure. help. Definitely. But what's the, what's the backstory? Like, how did you, how do you end up in them in the first place? So I met I met people. This they can go back and listen to the other podcast because <laughs> Colin talked about this. But I, I met Colin in two thousand and nine uh, when he was competing in the WBC for the first time, and nobody knew of Colin. I'd never heard of him. I knew this new guy had won the W the Irish BC after Stephen Morrissey had won the year before, but he contacted me and said like uh, I'm looking for some coffee. Would you be willing to help? And straight away, I was sitting in front of my computer because I was in that period where I was working way too hard. I was just like, dude, no problems. Come across. I'll be here on Saturday. Pick you up from the airport. And he hadn't even said he wanted to come on Saturday. Uh, but he turned up on the Saturday with Dave Walsh, and we did a cup in, and we did a taste of some of the coffees, and um, I think he liked them. And um, and then he went through this process of he went home and started to doubt whether he liked them or not. So he kept asking me for sample after sample after sample. And in the end, I was just like, they would use this one. And it was like a massive weight lifted off his shoulders because he didn't have to choose it anymore. I said, just use this one. It's great. And it was great, and it made him finish fourth. And we came home and kept in touch. Like, And, and to this day, you know, Colin's one of my closest friends. Like, I, I love him like a brother. Quite often you want to punch your brother in his face, but I love him like a brother. Um, and um, he opened this coffee shop in a lobby of a nightclub and asked if I would supply coffee. So I used to send the coffee, and I'd just leave the invoice out. I'd just send it, because I knew that, like, it was tough. Like, where he was, the location of it, like, being in a lobby, it was like, I just want this guy to succeed. Like, that's all I want, not for any personal gain. And I, I wasn't making lots of money then, but I was, you know, I could afford to do it. It was a good thing to do. And then he came to me with the idea of wholesaling uh, has been into Ireland. And I was like, sure, why not? Like, that sounds fun. He says, but, like, I would like you to be partner. So 
a very small uh, investment uh, I, I bought into the company and um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a co-owner I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a minority shareholder mm. fairly quiet but um, I help with uh, green um, I, I source the green for for 3FE which will continue um, and uh, I'm basically a sounding board for Colin and uh, try and help and support as much as I can um, and you know just love him love his family uh, love being in Dublin yeah. uh, and it's just a really pretty story of two mates getting together and making something amazing uh, and and he did all the making and I just bask in its glory <laughs> and um so we had three feet there, it has been, and then now also Drop Coffee. Right? Yeah. It's the most recent project. It is, it is. So it's, it's a couple of years now, I think. I can't, it might be coming up for three years soon. Mm. But um, I, I knew, I've known Joanna for a number of uh, a number of years, a massive admirer of um, just of the way that she conducts herself and the, her philosophies. We share, the, the first thing we managed to find out we share in common are our roasting philosophies, the, the omni-roast, yeah, sure. um, which doesn't exist, by the way. Omni-roast doesn't exist. It just It's called roasting it correctly. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we were talking um, at World of Coffee and um, Joanna said, like, would you come out and do some consulting for us? Like, because, you know, we, we're finding it difficult at drop and... Um, I'd love to. So I went out, spent a day there, went through all of their numbers. So not the businessman, but I can understand the numbers if I've got a book in front of me. And I was like, okay, and word to tell, looked at everything. Beautiful coffee shop, beautiful roastery, fantastic branding. I was like, this this needs some help. Um, like you need to invest some more money in here because you, you're basically going to run out of cash. You know, it's it's just it's not that it's losing money; it's a cash flow thing. So. Um, I went back to my hotel, was planning to fly out the next day, and Eric, who was 60% owner at the time, phoned me up and said, do you want to buy it? I was like, mm, no, I'm really busy. Uh, but Stockholm got in under my skin, uh, and it got into my head, um, and I really enjoyed it there. Like I, I feel, when I'm there, I feel different. Mm. Um, I think it has a very different... You, you, you approach life in a different way. Um, so uh, ended up becoming partner. Bought Eric's sixty uh, percent. Uh, first thing I did was give Joanna ten percent. I didn't want to be in any partnership that wasn't a partnership. Um, and I said, "You are the managing director. You are running this company. I will be very happily help with the back end office stuff. Um, I will help with support. Um, you know, we we will." We made a plan very early on about how to tighten the numbers and stop leaking money out and, and things like that, which we've done and it's been fantastic. And now drops in a really stable, safe place. Mm. It feels like it has somewhere to go from here. Um, and something I'm, I'm equally as proud of as, uh, as you know, setting up has been was, you know, there's been all of the previous owners of Drop, as you said in the podcast, have all gone. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's left to me and Joanna to be the custodians of these guys' original idea. Uh, and I, I, occasionally I'll talk to Eric and, and he, you know, he, he's happy that somebody who gets it as much as he did as one of the founders, he's still part of it. I mean, and Joanna, if you cut her, she bleeds drop. It's, you know, it, it, it's in the veins. So I think we're, we're equally as passionate. Yeah. Um, and I love that it's completely different to has been. Like, I do not ever, ever want to be the face of drop. Like, that would be a terrible 
catastrophic thing. Actually, and saying that, Swedes kind of quite like me because I'm a bit of a curiosity, but, um, you know, they kind of quite like the English. I've, I've found out over time that uh, you Swedes quite like us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but no, I, I think, you know, Drop is a completely different project and has it challenges me in different ways, and I think that's why it was such an interesting project. Yeah, sure. It was like... I don't have to go on camera every week and go, hello and welcome to, you know, in my mug, you know, and I definitely wouldn't be able to do it in Swedish. Um, but um, And the same with 3FE. It's a different set of challenges with Colin. You know, we have different negotiations and different... So it's fun to have these different different facets and also make you approach life and business differently. Mm, sure. No, and that's also the, the reason why all of you three companies are in the podcast is because they are extremely clear in their identity mm. right? and they are vastly different mm. which, which all of the companies on the podcast are which is also where where I personally get my inspiration as well where I look at a, a person um, like you that has been and still in some way then find times to also help or assist in, in other companies as well as yeah. a really valuable and interesting thing right I think you need to have those different facets, like a, a business. It's like a lot of my involvement in the Bristol competition is purely like it, it's it's a it's a terrible thing to be involved in as a business owner. It's a very expensive thing to be involved in, and sure. you know, and with the MC, and it's very time consuming and oh, stuff yeah. like that. But like again, it's a different facet. You get this suddenly this different point of view. Uh, from talking to different people who work in coffee and view it completely different to you, that that only helps you to become more rounded and more balanced uh, of your view of the industry. Mm. Let's uh, let's switch uh, switch gears. Let's talk green coffee. Green coffee, for me, when I look at at Haspin, is something that I believe is extremely important for you guys. Mm-hmm. I believe it's extremely important for you personally as well. Very I much. believe that's the, one of the things where you see so clearly in a company, and, and all companies on this podcast and in general, they have different kind of directions, ideas, and focuses, and I, and I really feel like green coffee is, is a core thing at Haspin. I appreciate that, because I mean, me and Dale sat down a couple of years ago, and we sat down and was went like, okay, we, 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 we felt a little lost. We felt that our identity was that little bit like, what, where are we? What do, what do people see? Um, and, and it was like, well, forget what people see. I want, what, what do we want people to see? Sure. And for me, it was, there were three things. It was variety, it was relationships, and uh, it, it roasting to order. They're like, you know, and very few people, everybody says they roast to order, but we, we literally batch to order. Um, variety, but the relationships, you know, the relationships, and that's green coffee. For me, I don't see the two as different. I have a relationship with the person that grows the green coffee. Mm. Um, and, and lots of the things that we've tried to do over the years have been to try and highlight that, mm. is to try and highlight the, the, the personalities and the people. Yeah, sure, and I think that's uh, on, um, on, on the green coffee. Now, we just had a, a cupping here now, some Nicaraguan coffees, and I've been in coffee for, for a few years. I've been around the world trying a lot of coffee, and I just tried a, a bunch of uh, Pacamara coffees that I have never, ever tried in terms of versions, right? So selections ten, of, of ten Pacamaras from one bottle. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's incredible, both in, in how they've been selected as lots, also how they've been processing, trying to pee berry Pacamara for the first time in my life. I honestly didn't even reflect on the fact that that existed, yeah. which, of course, it does. Yeah. But, you know, that's absolutely amazing, that whole concept, right? Uh, but you haven't always been direct, right? No. Nope. You started out with something else? Still not. Still not 100% Still not. direct. I, in, and I, 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 I kind of going to push you towards a blog post I wrote in, like, I think it's about 2013, 2014, that was called Direct Trade Sucks. And I got so much traction on it. It, it nearly broke my server, um, where I talked about, like, listen, 
direct trade doesn't matter. It's like so. This is when this is in the middle of everybody saying direct trade is super cool, and I got burnt. I got burnt bad mm. uh, from a direct relationship that like made me really sad. Um, I've actually had to go back and revisit th- this product because I've carried it around for a number of years afterwards. I'm actually friends again with the person I got burnt from, uh, and we fixed it. And we bought some coffee last year from them, which was great. But um, yeah, d- d- I don't care about how I, and neither does my customer care about how I buy coffee. Mm. What they care about is that I do a good job. Sure. So I do a good job in understanding that they're getting paid enough, mm. and enough by I mean they're never paid enough. Mm. Like until we change the way that we we sell coffee, we'll never be able to buy it smarter. But um, they have to trust me, and that can come from an importer. In fact, sometimes a lot more easy because importers tend to be better businessmen, so can understand the true costs. Whereas I'm kind of going finger in the air, uh, which way is the wind blowing? That's okay. Um, so um, yeah, I, th- I think uh, it, I don't. I like if I buy from an exporter, does that mean it's not direct trade? Um, I don't know, you know, and 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 it's such a loose and vague term that's come be, become to mean nothing. Mm. I can pay a dollar a pound for a, a direct trade, or I pay ten dollars a pound for a importer coffee. Mm. Which one's fairer? Well, maybe the importer paid ninety cents a pound for it, and it's. But I don't know. And, and and as long as you can understand the economics behind it, it really doesn't matter how you do it. And we confuse consumers with words like direct trade, yeah. um, because they don't get it. Isn't all trade direct? I'm dealing directly with an importer. Maybe that is a direct trade. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's complicated, and I think that um, the, the longer we go, especially in terms of people trying to, to set themselves apart uh, from a road to perspective or business perspective, using these kind of different terms that we don't really relate to. Um, but one of the things with, with your Green Coffee uh, program that is, is pretty exceptional, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you said that you worked with 350 different coffees. Last year. Last year. Yeah. Like 350. I work with, what, okay, different coffees over a year. I've, let's say maybe, maybe 20. Yeah. Maybe, and that's probably a high estimation. You work with 350. Yeah. That's unheard of. Yeah, I mean, some of those... Uh, listen, I mean, we, we bought 29 coffees from one farm that were different sure. tablons, different varietals, different processes, yeah. and it was in one container. So sure. it, it sounds grand, you know, but, like, sometimes it isn't as grand as it sounds. But for me, uh, taste taste is so subjective. Taste is something that... It means something completely different to you than it does to me, and it definitely means something different to the consumer. Sure. Um, and I want to have the coffee for everybody. It's not about finding my favourite coffees. It's not about me just presenting five of my favourite coffees that will change every you know month or so or a couple of months. It's not about that. I have some coffees that I would never personally take home with me, mm. but I have some coffees that I know are the very best of that origin, that are well-processed, well-picked, well-tended, you know, well-roasted, that will... Like, we, we were talking earlier about Indonesians. Like, I love an Indonesian. Mm. Oh, my God, I could... Like, give me a clean, full-bodied, chewy Indonesian. I'm in heaven. Do I want that when I get home? Probably not. No, I, I, I love those big, zesty, blueberry, blackberry Ethiopians as well. You know, I, I love a super clean, washed Kenyan, just like every other coffee geek does. But I can also appreciate the other other areas of flavour and taste. Sure. And there are times where I suddenly go, do you know what, I'm going to take this Indian Peabree home with me tonight. Um, and I take it home and I have a really good weekend with it. And, think, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so 
the other problem is, is I'm a bit of a flirt, so I end up within all these relationships with different people, but I'm really bad at breaking up. Oh, sure. So I end up with all of these different relationships. Like, how do you suddenly not, oh, I don't want that coffee that I love. No, I want that coffee. And they think, oh, we'll, we'll find some way of selling it. Um, and sometimes, like you saw today, a couple of the samples you would take, there were one bag lots. Mm. You know, you got one sure. bag sure. because it's so unique and so unusual mm. that, you know, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and they're the fun ones. They're the ones that you can impress your friends with or impress your wholesale customers with. You say, try this. So I haven't got any to sell. Just have some. Mm. Um, and that, that's lots of fun. I think that's amazing. And I think it's, a, it's a, I told you before as well, it's something that I sometimes forget as well because we, or at least some roasteries, they're focusing so much on individual cup quality, whatever that is. And, and again, referencing what we talked about earlier, focusing more on other roasters liking that coffee you make yeah. that we disregard some of our clients. And we don't understand that tasty coffee can come from just about everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But we stop looking for it because we're restricting ourselves to certain varietals processing methods i know i do yeah i'm as guilty as any uh, well i did i did a uh, um the brewers cup last year in the mm-hmm. uk and the brazil thing you know with the video and i like i i I'm re- that came from a really important place for me you know is that, that i've sold more i sell more of that coffee than any other coffee i buy consumers get this coffee and you won't because you're looking for a fancy dan geisha that's going to make your eyeballs screw up and fall out your head sure. but coffee isn't that Coffee, if coffee was geisha every single time, I would get bored of coffee really quickly. And I just love its diversity. I love the way that it can challenge me and make me think differently about, you know, when you get like a super clean uh, Indonesian and then you stick it alongside, you know, a, a super bright Kenyan and you're just like, okay. Okay, I, this is just such a different product. We should embrace that and get really excited about it, not try and make it narrower and say, no, it should all be acidity. It should all... Now, some roasteries approach that differently. I'm completely cool with that. Like, it gives me more of that market. But I actually think the mass appeal market mm. is we can make far more of a difference to the quality of what people are drinking than trying to sell to each other. And the, the interesting thing now, and I, and I think that on the, um, um, on, again, the, the Pacamara cupping we had as well, I think that that is, it probably already put you in that position. We already saw that with the, with the World Bursa Championship uh, with Dale as well and the coffee used there. But the funny thing is that you are going to get to those amazing coffees that someone else is looking for way faster than they are. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. No, you're, I mean, you're, Lisa, I, I, um, after being all the thing about the geishas, we, we, we get preferential seats at the table because we buy the other coffees because let's be honest when you've got two bags of geisha and mm. you've got 250 bags of katura mm. who are you going to sell your two bags of geisha to if you buy the 250 bags of katura you know it's like you get so you do get to that table a little quicker and i love having those unusual coffees like they sell out super quick mm. you know but they normally sell out to different customers that are going to buy the katura Mm. Um, so why not service both markets? Yeah, no, for sure. It's um, for me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Um, I always keep in the back of my head uh, whenever I'm tasting coffees, and I kind of and I'm you know I'm getting carried away with buying these really expensive fancy lots. I have one customer in, in Aberdeen, which is in North Scotland, mm. um, called Mrs. Smith, and she's in her eighties, and she she doesn't email me so often anymore. But she used to always email me and say, "Didn't like that coffee very much. It was a little bit too little bit too bitter." 
which meant there was too much acidity. Sure. And then she'd quite often come back and say, ooh, that was a real coffee coffee, and that means it's got some body in it. Yet she still wanted to buy specialty coffee, freshly roasted, you know, uh, and, and well-prepared, and she wanted to let me know about it. And, you know, it's like, okay, because we all think about the industry. We all think about how we'll be perceived. Like, if we have this geisha, well, they'll think we're really cool. But I always think about, what, do, what would Mrs. Smith say? Would she like it? You know, oh, maybe I better get her some coffee too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If we we take the last part here, uh, stepping out a bit uh, outside of Haspine, Ozone, um, everything, just look at the industry. Um, you are one of those in the industry today that has probably had the most experience and insight in what's been going on. That means I'm old, yeah? <laughs> in, in the best kind of way. Yeah. Um, and... Like what? What are we up to as an industry? Where are we actually moving? How how healthy is this whole thing? Is that relevant for you, or do you just drive your own boat and and let's see what everyone else? I up? I so I I do care about it. I do drive my own boat, mm. but I do care about it because um, a lot of the producers I'm working with are working with people in other boats, sure. um, and and also if we're ever to gain any traction uh, amongst the the common person out there is we need to be at least going in east north south or west you know um if we're all in our boats going different ways we we're, we're never going to do anything apart i think the industry's in a really difficult phase mm. um i think we went through a spell um in the early days of when i started so 2003 to 2010 11 particularly in the uk and i'm going to talk very uk focused here mm. where there was an explosion of uh, excitement, cafes like in in London. It seemed like there was a cafe opening every day, um, and outside of London, all of the major conurbations so uh, Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, York, Edinburgh, Glasgow. We saw this explosion and excitement, and everybody was like, "Yay, we're friends!" And then it kind of changed a little bit, where people started to go, "We're friends, but I've got no money." Um, and there's been a little bit more of niggling. I think people, it's less honourable than it certainly was a few years ago where, you know, we, we have people targeting our accounts all the time, going in, being quite pushy uh, of people who I thought, I, I, you know, we don't work in that way. We don't go around, like, it's just not our style. We're, we're not organised enough to have a, a campaign against other people's customers. But we, we see it and, it, and I think that's the panic setting it. For me, that is people starting to kind of go, we need to pay the bills. Like, we've, we're stretching ourselves. It's becoming more competitive. You know, we, the majority of our wholesale customers who we've lost over the last 12 months have not been because they've gone to a competitor, because they've bought a roaster. Yeah. Um, and I think we only, uh, we're only going to see more of that, uh, which will dilute the market and dilute the message. Um, because when you buy a roaster, that's great, but you need scale to be able to buy great green. Like, you cannot... And listen, like, there's lots of great importers out there that buy great green, but if you're selling the same as the shop down the road selling is the same as the shop down the road selling, then where's your point in differentiation? Where, where are you making uh, a different... Yeah, you may roast it better, you may roast it worse. Or the guy down the road might roast it worse and say, I don't like Honkute because I've tasted it before and it was horrible. Well, that's because somebody else screwed it up. So for me, I, I think um, we're going to see people set up roasters in their arches or back of cafes or whatever, and I think we'll see uh, a period where a lot of roasters go out of business. 
And then I think we'll see a lot of cafes take the roasters out and put seats in them because that's what cafes should really have in them, mm. not roasters. Um, and then um, I think we'll see who's left at the end. Yeah. You know, like I, I honestly think that we will go through a cycle of we're going to start to see companies, you know, disappear. Sure. Uh, and I didn't want to be part of that group. You know, uh, one misstep, one mistake, one bad move, that could be me. Um, and by coming together, I think we you know, supporting each other and we have strength. Um, I have strength on the coffee side of things, and I think I can bring a lot to, to that side of the business. They have strength on numbers and understanding the financials, which, you know, as I started off in the car, I'm not a good businessman. They, they've got that skill. So I think uh, the, working together has got to be... The, the, you know, we're going to see consolidation, collaboration, uh, and people coming together a lot more uh, because the industry otherwise is in a really sticky, difficult place. It is, yeah. I think people are underestimating that. I, I see that when I travel around doing consultancy work as well, that, that people don't understand how difficult it is. And it's not just difficult to sell coffee, but it's difficult to set yourself apart. Yeah. I, I look at what I do quite often, and I'm, I'm realizing I'm still very much just like everyone else. Even if I don't want to, right? But but you are because either um, I'm not or we're not smart enough to think about other ways to do it, or we're just you know we're ending up in this all kind of same path that is already decided before you even start a roastery. I can tell for most roasteries that are starting today, I can tell you what's going to happen within the first year and the second year. Yeah, it's so obvious. Yeah, and you're going to end up there even if you say you're not. Because without scale, yeah. you can't forge your own path. Sure. You can't make a different pathway without resource expertise and skills behind you. Sure. And, and, and I, I agree completely. It's like I, I, we're, we're all on the same path. And actually, I might want to go to my right or I may want to go to my left. Mm. And like, I, I don't have the ability on my own at the moment to do that, whereas it's coming together. has given me that opportunity to go, right, I'm going to do this. Mm. I've got this great idea and I want to change this. And like, I think it's really interesting... Okay, I hate going back to Collins because I love Joanna's and uh, sorry, uh, James's, but I love Joanna's and Collins more. But I loved what James said about um, about the pricing structures of coffee, and it's exactly the same thing that's keeping me awake at night. Is is how can the risk and reward be so imba- unbalanced, and how can we readdress it? And you know what, we can't readdress it when you're on your own. And there has to be a far greater and bigger force behind you to change that. Um, and, yeah, uh, hopefully um, I'm going to have an opportunity to try and fix that. I think so. And I think that's I'm going to follow the progress um, uh, with, with big, big interest. It's going to be really fun to see. And you are, you know, you say you're 44 years old, but that's still relatively young, right? Especially yeah. for being where you are. So I expect you do... Uh, some interesting things in the future. I, I, I've got at least another 15, 20 yeah, years sure. left before I, uh, before I stop doing this stuff. But, uh, and I'll keep doing the WBC for as long as they allow me to MC it. So sure. um, I, I, I'm quite happy to be an old idiot. It's, uh, I can fill those boots really well. Amazing. And I'm, I'm going to look forward to follow that process as well. Awesome. Thank you very much for this. This no. has been absolutely super cool. No, really cool. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for letting me be part of it. And yeah. uh, I kind of uh, feel quite humbled being amongst that group of, uh, uh, of talented coffee people on there. Thank you. From us here at April, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, family and colleagues. Thank you.